Welcome to this episode of Disrupt, a podcast of the Cedarville University Center for Pharmacy Innovation. Today on the podcast, we will be discussing the important role that 503B outsourcing facilities play in the drug supply chain within the United States. I'm joined by Jeff Ball, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Pharmacist with Stack Pharma. Thanks again for joining us on Disrupt. It's a distinct pleasure to have Jeff Vall on the podcast today. Jeff is the Chief Operating Officer and Chief Pharmacist with Stack Pharma, a purpose-built CGMP 503B outsourcing facility that provides compounded medications and pre-filled syringes and other packaging for hospitals and surgery centers around the country. Don't worry, Jeff will unpack the alphabet soup of 503B outsourcing facilities for us. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, to start, could you tell us a little bit of the story of how you ended up in your current position with Stack Pharma? Maybe you can take some time also to tell us about some of your experiences in various roles over the years. Yeah, certainly. Um, I went to school at uh, CU, Colorado School of Pharmacy, and did a rotation in home infusion really ended up liking the sterile compounding aspect of pharmacy. I had a little bit of experience as an intern uh, working at Walmart and uh, did a little bit of uh, hospital work as well. I really enjoyed that sterile compounding side of pharmacy and so did a home infusion rotation. And for those of you who don't know what home infusion is, it's it's sterile compounding and it's, uh, you know, regulated by the state as a 503A compounding pharmacy, uh, do a lot of chronic therapies like uh, intravenous immunoglobulins, hemophilia, blood factor um, infusions, parenteral nutrition, and also some acute therapies as well, uh, like IV antibiotics. You know, typically you'll do a culture insensitivity in the hospital and, you know, might be on a patient might be on a four to six week course of IV antibiotics, and once they are, you know, stable in the hospital, usually they go home and, and you know, a home infusion company will pick up that last uh, four to five weeks of that, that therapy at home. And so it's, it's really interesting as a pharmacist, though, because you really get to be pretty interactive um, with the patients and their therapy. Um, you know, you get to know the patients a bit, you call them, you talk about their therapy and how it's going, and then you even get to play a role in, uh, in some of that as well. So for instance, if patients on vancomycin, you know, will be drawing, um, you know, drop levels and things and, and being able to make recommendations to infectious disease on, on that therapy. And, and generally those physicians will, uh, will look at your recommendations and a lot of times we'll, we'll go with that if you've, if you've made a good choice on that. So it's really fun to, uh, it was a good interactive uh, patient therapy um, that, I, that I really enjoyed. So um, got into doing home infusion right out of school and enjoyed that quite a bit. Did that for a few years, ran some home infusion companies around the, around the Denver area and uh, actually got a little, little uh, kind of missed the water a little bit and uh, originally from California and uh, decided that we would, uh, my wife and I, we'd moved to Florida and I ended up working for a Cardinal Health in the pharmacy management division 
and I was a director of pharmacy for about a 300-bed hospital in the uh, St. Pete Beach, uh, Tampa area, uh, involved with, you know, all the different committees on the hospital, uh, including the Pharmacy and Therapeutics Committee, and uh, really uh, had a great experience there as well in the hospital. And while beach life was, was good and fun, I uh, ultimately really missed that, that outdoor activities and everything that, uh, that Colorado has to offer. And so ended up moving back to Colorado and got back into home infusion, worked for some other home infusion companies around town and, and really had a uh, kind of a niche to, as, as the become an entrepreneur. And I'd always thought about that during, you know, even during pharmacy school and, you know, I worked at like a, you know, some of the retail stores and you think, wow, how could you ever compete with something like that? You know, you really have got a, have got, you know, it's got a, some kind of niche area to be able to compete and actually ended up um, working and doing some uh, patient care with hospice patients. And so doing uh, home infusion for the hospice patients. And so we did a lot of pain management, um, as you can imagine, for, you know, end of life care patients. And I always say there's a, you know, a, uh, an appropriate time and place for opioids. And certainly, you know, the two places I can think of are, you know, certainly a prior to a surgery or, you know, at uncontrolled pain at, at end of life. And so we would uh, be able to take the uh, home infusion, you know, patients in, in hospice and, you know, be able to take some of the different therapies that they were on. Maybe it was, um, you know, sublingual morphine, maybe fentanyl patch, uh, long acting morphine, and the patient was still in a, in a lot of pain. And so being able to roll all those different modalities and into an infusion pump. And so um, that was something that we did um, as home infusion. So I really built that business from scratch. It was called Qualamed Pharmacy. And, um, Ultimately, ended up uh, selling that business. It did, did quite well. Um, sold it to a competitor and then looked at the other opportunities in the market. And, and that's really how I got introduced into 503B. Great. So you've had a, a bunch of really neat experiences and appreciate you sharing those. So many of our listeners are probably wondering what a 503B outsourcing facility is. Can you walk us through some of the events that first led to the creation of 503B? And then maybe explain what a 503B outsourcing facility does? Yeah, great question. And so really to do that, you've got to really look at, you know, what a 503A pharmacy is and, and what a 503B outsourcing facility is. So a little background, uh, you know, as you probably know, a 503A pharmacy is, is a retail pharmacy or a hospital pharmacy, maybe specialty pharmacy, home infusion, you know, are all examples of 503A pharmacies. But basically you're doing everything patient specific, uh, meaning that you have a, a prescription that you're following from a doctor. And, you know, while there is some room in some states to do some uh, office stock kind of non-prescription uh, dispensing, primarily everything in a 503A uh, was meant to be done patient specific, you know, from a doctor's prescription. 503A is state regulated. Um, generally, you follow USP 797 and 800. And so, the 503B really came to came to be because of a 503A pharmacy that was called the New England Compounding Center. And this was a pharmacy that produced large batches of epidural steroid injections that were uh, supposed to be sterile. They were shipping across the U.S., uh, really acting um, 
doing a lot of large batch sizes, really not what was intended for a 503A. Um, and so they shipped across the U.S. Um, and unfortunately had a um, fungal meningitis outbreak um, from their batches that they were sending out to the U.S., uh, across the U.S. You know, more than 70 people unfortunately died and, and hundreds were, were injured. Um, Congress and, and FDA looked at that and said, oh, my gosh, how did that happen? You know, that was really um, a 503A pharmacy that was really flying under the radar of, of the um, FDA. And so uh, in 2013, the Senate passed the Drug Quality and Security Act. So that's the DQSA. And what the DQSA did was amended the Federal Food and Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act to include Section 503B, and that created a new category of drug compounders called outsourcing facilities. And so in order to operate under 503B, human drug products must be compounded. And this is the important part for pharmacists, that those drug products must be compounded by or under the direct supervision of a licensed pharmacist. So it really creates a lot of, of unique opportunities um, for pharmacists. And so a 503 outsourcing facility, um, while they do get licensed in other states, ultimately um, they must adhere to CGMP, the current good manufacturing practices, which are part of the Code of Federal Regulations, parts uh, 210 and 211. Great. So Stack is one of these 503B outsourcing facilities. So could you tell us about how Stack Pharma came to be and how your involvement started with uh, Stack? Certainly. So, you know, as a pharmacist, I've had a challenge with purchasing drugs, you know, going back to when I started my pharmacy in, in 2010 and started looking at, um, you know, I was like, wow, I, I picked a really challenging time to, to start a pharmacy when getting some of these sterile injectable drug products was uh, were really on you know a lot of shortage they were really a, it was a challenge to, to be able to procure these drugs and so after I had sold my pharmacy I had looked at some opportunities in the market um, you know the 503b outsourcing facility uh, opportunity came up and was really something that um, that I found very very interesting because you know, many reasons, but, you know, you're able to step into drug shortages and, and be able to s supply a lot of those drugs that, um, that a lot of the big pharma companies have just not really producing much anymore. And, you know, just looking at the um, patient safety and being able to provide a drug that, that falls under CGMP was something that, that I found really interesting and challenging. And so, you know, with, uh, so I'm one of the founders and then uh, Joe Began, our president, Mark Speaker, or Joe Began, I'm sorry, our CEO, and Mark Speaker, our, our president, um, three of us really looked at the market, the opportunities, and, you know, when 503B first came out, there was probably like 75 or so um, of, of, of outsourcers that had started. Many of them were 503A pharmacies that had converted to 503B, wanted to be able to ship across state lines. Um, and what a lot of people found is that it's a very challenging, um, you know, CGMP is very challenging to, to be able to maintain that standard. And we looked at it and, you know, really our premise back then was 
quality is really is what is what's going to make your it's going to make your 503b and that really has uh, that's really reigned reigned true and so um, how it came to be was really looking at uh, what was needed in the market uh, also talking with about 100 or so directors of pharmacy across the US and saying you know what is it that you would like to that you would like to see in a 503b and really that's how we how we got started was uh, what was needed in the market and then how to build a, a good quality 503b CGMP outsourcing facility so Jeff, you mentioned the idea of quality and how integral that is to your company. Can you tell us a bit more about the name Stack and what it stands for and why that's so important for you? Definitely. So Stack really, out of those conversations that we had with directors of pharmacies and and other administrators in the pharmacy world, um, you know, interviewed them and said, you know, what are your challenges and what would you like to see out of a 503B? And so really what it came down to was, was four things. It was safety. They wanted a good product that was that was safe. They knew they could trust. They wanted transparency. They wanted to know if the FDA comes into your 503B, what do they what do they see? What do they what do they recommend that you do? Um, they wanted they want some transparency there. They want transparency in your supply chain as well, who you're purchasing from. Um, availability uh, goes to um, you know the fact that. They want to make sure that if they start purchasing drugs from you, that they're going to be able to continue to get those drugs. And so, you know, everybody's been kind of whipsawed by some of the different some of the challenges with the supply chain and the drug shortages. And so making sure that the, the drugs that you provide them are always going to be available to them. And then, of course, quality. And uh, we actually thought about calling the company uh, QSAT, QSAT, but because uh, really quality is where that is the main thing. But uh but we thought that was kind of silly, so we went with stacks. So there was a there was a stack of good reasons to uh, so that to call us S T A Q, and so that's really how the name came about. Excellent. So for our listeners, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the day to day work that happens in a five hundred three B outsourcing facility. What does that look like? Who's involved? Uh, what happens there? Yeah, definitely. Great question. And so we have uh, pharmacists that are in in different roles here at Stack. So, for instance, we have production pharmacists who are really, you know, more involved with the oversight of the day-to-day compounding, uh, along with our quality department, of course. And so, you know, making sure that we follow good documentation practices, so GDP, um, making sure that everyone is following the batch records. And so we have production technicians that participate in the formulation and then also the filling of the drugs into, um, into you know, the end product, whether it's a bag or um, ID bag or pre-filled syringe or elastomeric pump, um, making sure that those, those batch records are followed because that's really when the FDA comes in and, you know, they want to come in and they want to take a look at one of your batches. And so they'll go through every part of that and make sure that everything is, uh, is documented exactly correctly. And if there was an issue that happened during that, uh, what did you do about that? Did you, did you keep that batch? Did you discard that batch? You know, just exactly what happened. So that's, you know, so we have production pharmacists, we have regulatory pharmacists. So, you know, we're registered with FDA, but then we also have to get licensed in each state. So as you can imagine, just the um, applications and maintaining those uh, applications and 
designations in licensing in those states is, is, a, is a pretty big job. Um, our regulatory pharmacists also participate in like our stability program. So every drug that we make here, um, you know, you have a B, like a typically a BUD, a beyond use date or expiration date, you know, when you compound something. In the 503B world under CGMP, it's a full stability program that we're proving out over time, you know, our, not only our potency, but pH, endotoxin, particulate, uh, many different items go into that. So the stability program is a very important part of, um, of what a regulatory pharmacist does here at Stack. And then, um, you know, there's things that I do day to day. I do a lot of the uh, formulation work. And so, which has been really exciting. So uh, bringing the, bringing products to market, um, you know, making sure that we're avoiding any kind of essential copies from the FDA. Um, for instance, one of the products that, that we just came to market with is a buffered lidocaine product and um, stack. We're the only ones that have a 60 day room temperature product. And that came about by a lot of research and development that we had to do with the buffer system. And so it's really been been a lot of fun going back to things in school that I thought maybe I'll never use these kind of things. So even uh, such as like the, the Henderson Hasselbach equation actually had to whip that one out uh, recently. And so reason being that uh, with lidocaine at, at a higher pH, it, it stings less when it's administered, um, you know, into the skin. But at a lower pH, the drug is more stable. And so using that Henderson-Hasselbalch equation to really find that sweet spot between, um, you know, how much it stings going in and then how stable of a product we can make as well. I think it's a good reminder to, to those who have completed school or maybe you're in school right now that these basic sciences actually do matter and they can come back to, um, to be a useful skill and useful information that can, can help us to make products that are better for the patients that we serve. So that's great. So I want to go back to a comment you made just uh, a minute ago about the FDA's involvement in 503B outsourcing facilities. So could you expand on that a bit for us? How is the FDA involved and how do you interact with the FDA? Yeah, great question. So it's really interesting in in 503B or any generic um, drug manufacturer that basically the FDA wants to see you making product before they will license you, uh, which is completely different from a pharmacist's typical point of view where you know, when you start a pharmacy, uh, you don't dispense a, a single prescription until you've been inspected by the state board of pharmacy. Um, FDA actually wants to see you making product and following CGMP, uh, and then they come in and they do an inspection. And so, you know, while it can be a little bit intimidating to have the FDA there, really the reason that the that the FDA is, is coming in doing inspections and and it's it's really more to make sure that you're not only following and adhering to CGMP, but that, you know, it's, it's really a process improvement um, is really how we look at it with the FDA. We look at it as an opportunity um, for best practices to be shared and, and look to see um, what the FDA would like to see implemented. And so they're really a great resource to really make sure that you you have a quality product and you continue to produce a quality product in a consistent manner. Um, so we had our first FDA inspection um, about a year ago and it went quite well. Um, 
you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, that anybody that's been through like a joint commission kind of a survey, it's, it's much like that, but, uh, but certainly much more intense. Um, but so there's different things that the FDA can do when they come in and give you an inspection. Uh, they can have zero recommendations for you, which is, which is pretty rare as you can imagine. Um, they can give you a voluntary action indicated, um, which is they'll, they'll say, we'd like you to, you know, you're doing a good job. However, we'd like you to make some process improvements. And so it's voluntary, but this is what we recommend. Of course, you'd be pretty silly not to, uh, not to adhere to that. Right. But, uh, and then there's also those, uh, an official action indicated, uh, can be the result of an FDA inspection. And that's much more serious. You've got, uh, you've got some things that they, they want you to follow up on and you, it's mandatory really that you get that done. If you don't do that and the FDA comes back, you will then uh, oftentimes receive a warning letter from the FDA. And, and that happens in the, in the industry, not only with 503Bs, but, you know, of course, other pharma manufacturers as well. Um, you know, and then I can even move on to a consent degree. But uh, so that's basically, you know, the role with the FDA and what, and what they, um, you know, how they regulate. 503Bs, but but ultimately, you know, it always comes back to, as pharmacists, we want to do the right thing, and, you know, as long as you can prove that you're doing that, then, um, you know, it's just more of a, of a conversation with them and, uh, and really looking at the, the products that you're making and how you're making them, making sure that you're adhering to the quality. So it may come as a surprise to some of our listeners that the FDA inspection doesn't happen until after the company is already making the products that, that you decided to, to go about uh, making. So I'm curious, is this similar to um, other manufacturers, which are, of course, different than 503B outsourcing facilities? Does the FDA come in after that production has started, or do they have more oversight on the front end for a manufacturer? Uh, good question. So there are – it is really basically the answer question. It's, it's basically the same. They want to see um, – that you're that you're that you're in production, and then uh, typically the inspection follows after that. Um, there are some preliminary, um, you know, correspondence you can have with FDA, and we did that as that. We we engaged the FDA early on. Uh, we showed them our uh, you know our, our floor plan, our diagram, um, what we were what our plan was and everything and, and actually got them on the phone and, and went through a lot of that. So you can get a little bit of a preliminary review, but the inspection generally will not happen until, until you're actually in production. Great. Okay. So I want to shift gears a little bit here and recognizing that the pharmacy supply chain is really complex here in the United States and really across the world. There are many factors that have led to a constant cycle of drug shortages over the last decade and more. Um, the COVID-19 pandemic has also exacerbated some of these shortages as things like active pharmaceutical ingredients and other components that are manufactured all over the world can sometimes be harder to get. So I'm, I'm curious, Jeff, to get your take on the current state of drug shortages in the United States and how that impacts what you do at Stack. Yeah, great question. So certainly from, you know, the standpoint of, of doing a lot of 
repackaging of drugs if there's no drugs to repackage. And so like one of the things that we'll do is, is take a, take a drug that's in a vial and then put it into a syringe so that, you know, from a safety standpoint, it's already in the right concentration, it's in the right volume, you know, that's typically administered. And so, you know, if that drug is not available in the commercial form, then, you know, certainly there's really not, nothing we can do. Um, we do also go from the API, the active pharmaceutical ingredient, which is the powder form of the drug. And we typically do that when the drug is on the FDA drug shortage list. And API, then there's really not much of a shortage on that. And so fortunately, we are shielded um, from some of those drug shortages if the drug is on the FDA drug shortage list and we can procure that drug in the powder form. And so that involves a little bit more on the formulation side, uh, but that's all covered in our stability work. And so we're taking that that API, uh, we're getting it into solution, uh, we're adjusting the pH, maybe we're adding a buffer system to it, you know, dialing in that formulation for the for the best stability that we can get out of that drug to make sure that we're maintaining potency and everything else over that time period. But the um, but the, the drug shortages uh, certainly, you know, is something that that affects us if we're going from a from a commercial product. Um, but, you know, when we're going from the API, then we're, we're a little bit shielded from that and we're able to still provide those drugs that may be on the drug shortage list, but we can, but we still have access to that, to that active pharmaceutical ingredient, that powder form and able to uh, formulate and, and dispense that. So with that, uh, what products do you, do you at Stack Pharma, Stack Pharma focus on? And is that similar to other 503B outsourcing facilities, or does that vary by the, the various organizations that may be in this space? Yeah, great question. So right now we are providing mostly drugs that are used during anesthesia and the OR. So we are doing um, some of the opioids. Um, we're also doing some of the... Um, uh, you know, like succinylcholine, we do glycopyrrolate, um, some of those other drugs that are used during surgery. And those are, those are pretty typical for uh, what most 503Bs do. Um, you know, a lot of those drugs that are used during surgery and, and anesthesia and on the nursing floors as well. And so providing that in, in that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that ready-to-use form. And so really from a safety standpoint, uh, if you can take away that bedside compounding, you know, it's oftentimes called where on the fly you're taking a vial of drug, uh, pulling that into a syringe, maybe adding some saline to it and, um, you know, having to get that concentration correct every time at the bedside. Um, you can take a pre-filled syringe um, that's already in that right concentration, right volume, then you take a lot of that uh, safety risk out of there. And so a lot of 503Bs will also do some different ophthalmic products. And so there might be some combination ophthalmic products that may not uh, be commercially produced, and but still a very big need for those for those different combinations. Um, IV bags are another thing. And so instead of a hospital having to, you know, compound a batch or an individual bag for a patient, um, if you can just take a bag that already has, it's already gone through the CGMP process, it has good expiration dating and is ready to go and you have that on your shelf. Um, and then that's one of the products that, that 503Bs do as well. Um, 
There's also like elastomeric pumps that are used for uh, local anesthesia, like after a joint replacement, those kind of things. And so those are some of the different um, kind of drugs that, that 503Bs do. Okay, so we've talked about drug shortages, but I'd love to know the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic specifically on your organization. What changes have you had to make or what effects have you seen because of the pandemic? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, when, when COVID first hit, you know, it was certainly a, a challenge for everybody and, and really turned a lot of people's uh, worlds upside down, including ours. And so really the the biggest effect that we've had are just getting some of the raw materials that we need, you know, that everybody's competing for right now. You know, Operation Warp Speed has really, um, you know, put everything into uh, into production for making vaccines. And so, which makes sense. I mean, that's what our country needs right now. And so um, for, for other pharmaceutical manufacturers, such as, such as Stack, you know, we're having a challenge even getting things like the sterile water for injection, you know, that we start with um, for our drugs. But really the most, uh, most critical item for us has been getting the, the personal protective equipment, as you can imagine. So the PPE, which is, you know, everybody's heard about on the news and everything. And it, it is real. It's a challenge. And, and so, you know, we, and, and we don't want to be hoarders either, right? You know, we don't want to take that from a hospital or from a pharmaceutical manufacturer that's making vaccine. And so it's really just having that fine line of, um, making sure that you have enough that you can produce your drug products for your hospitals, but making sure that you're not a, you know, someone that's overusing some of that equipment. Great. So one of the question I have here is just for pharmacists or, or maybe student pharmacists interested in job opportunities within 503B outsourcing facilities, Jeff, what suggestions would you have that can help them prepare for roles in these types of organizations in the future? Yeah, great question. They, you know, really training to what CGMP is because, you know, back in my day, there was, uh, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of, of CGMP that I learned in, in my pharmacy curriculum. Uh, we learned a little bit about it, but, um, you know, really for to be to be in a 503B, you need to really know what CGMP is. And it's a, you know, as the FDA inspector told us, that the C in CGMP is current good manufacturing practice. And so it's not only just what's in the books, but it's, it's what others in the industry are, are doing. So the more that you can learn about CGMP, and there's some great resources out there. So the FDA themselves, if you go to the FDA website, you can see that they will um, – they have some written things, but then they will also do seminars and things as well. And so it's a great way to get to know um, some of the different FDA inspectors, what they're looking for in the industry. Uh, also, Parenteral Drug Association, PDA, is also a great resource for, um, you know, industry-wide CGMP best practices. And so between those two um those two resources, I would say, those are the, those are the best for for learning what CGMP is and and what five hundred three Bs are looking for. All right. Well, I want to open it up for any last uh, thoughts or comments that you may have on five hundred three B outsourcing facilities that you think uh, would be important for listeners to know. Sure, I would just say you know that it's a it, it's really interesting that you know it's it's a, it's a great opportunity for pharmacists because 
you know, in order to fall, uh, you know, under the 503B outsourcing facility, there's um, three exemptions that are that are uh, allowed for a 503B, as opposed to you know a, a large generic drug manufacturer, and so one of them has to do with the labeling. Um, so like stacked to another 503B, we don't have to produce a package insert because these drugs are already approved. They've gone through the drug approval process. Um, so we don't have to have like a full, you know, large package insert on our drugs. Um, another exemption has to do with just not having to go through the drug approval process. We don't have to file um, abbreviated new drug applications or NDAs. Um, and so because these drugs are already approved and and then the third exemption has to do with supply chain and serialization of each individual unit that is produced however in order to to get those exemptions as a 503b you have to be as i mentioned before you know under the direct supervision of a licensed pharmacist and so a lot of different opportunities now for for pharmacists that really in the manufacturing side weren't really there before and so it's a, it's a unique opportunity for pharmacists to get into manufacturing and really step into that that larger um, CGMP you know standard and, and being able to adhere that and adhere that and, and being able to, to produce drugs in, in more of a batch form and, and really stepping up your game as far as sterile compounding goes. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. I know that I've definitely learned a lot from you and hope our listeners have too. So again, we really appreciate you taking your time to to spend with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Disrupt, a podcast from the Center for Pharmacy Innovation at Cedarville University. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share the podcast with others. For more information on the Cedarville University School of Pharmacy and Center for Pharmacy Innovation, visit www.cedarville.edu/pharmacy. Thanks for listening.